Hey, Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. So how are you? Your last week? <laughs> well, I have a nice week. So you've got an absolutely fascinating long history and current um, projects that you're doing. Can you just uh, let us know a little bit how you decided to go into the um, the Air Force in 1944, I believe? 1942. 42, yeah. That's... Yeah, okay. yeah, well, I, I was uh, studying to be a priest at the uh, Salvatorian Seminary in Wisconsin. Noble. Uh, and... Uh, on the 7th of December, uh, I was in my second year, and uh, I was uh, on the uh, 7th of December, we heard that Pearl Harbor was bombed, and uh, I came from a military family. My father and brothers have, were all serving, and uh, uh, this was in uh, 1941. They, my dad was a soldier of fortune, basically, and uh, so, uh, I knew I had to go in. So I left the seminary. I was 17. I had just turned 17 on this, uh, on the 25th of November, uh, of 1941. And, uh, uh, so I was about uh, 12 days past my 17th birthday. And so anyway, I finished the semester and oh, about May and then, uh, uh, tried to join the Navy and, uh, uh, couldn't get in because of uh, my eye problems. And then at the Air Force was taking people uh, with uh, who passed the, the uh, competitive examination. So I took that. And uh, anyway, I, I ended up uh, joining the uh, United States Army Air Corps on the 30th of November of uh, 1942, five days after my 18th birthday and started a, a pretty rigorous uh, uh, flying training program that eventually ended up uh, on the 15th of April of 1945 when I, 19 years old, I was commissioned a second lieutenant fighter pilot. <laughs> so how much classroom training were you given before you started your first, I guess, co-piloting flight with an instructor? Well, we had several things. First, the, the we had a, a competitive, uh, or not a competitive, but a uh, a uh, evaluation, uh, psychomotor and psychology, psychological, to see if you're fit for flying. And that, as a right, as a result of that, you it was determined whether you're going to be a pilot, a navigator, or a bombardier. And I was selected for pilot training. And then after that, we went through a lot of ground school. Uh, being taught aeronautics and uh, 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 codes, uh, Morse code, and and uh, uh, things like that, and then also of uh, various tactics uh, that the, that were being used during the war. And uh, then from there, we went through training. My uh, flight training started on the. Uh, in the uh, October of uh, 1943 at uh, uh, Dothan, uh, Alabama, where I started flying the Stearman PT-17, a biplane, two wings, uh, open cockpit uh, sort of thing. And uh, I, I soloed in about six hours and then uh, uh, finished that with about 65 hours. 
65 hours. Wow. Today would be what, several hundred hours, I guess, before you got to. Then, well, from there, I went to basic training, which was a little, we went through the BT 13, which was a metal aircraft. Didn't have retractable gear, but uh, it was a closed cockpit, uh, uh, more advanced aircraft. And I got uh, about 85 hours of it and then went to uh, uh, final training, which was advanced, where we flew the uh, T-6 Texan. And uh, uh, this is where we got a lot of uh, simulated combat training. And uh, uh, it was about 50%. We had about a 50% failure rate going through only about half of us finished the course. Uh, in my class, and uh, uh, we we're at the end of that, we were commissioned, and that was on the 15th of April of 1944. I want to thank Colin Heaton from Heaton Lewis Books for supporting the show. Colin is an author, historian, and consultant to the TV and film industry, and has amazing wartime historical film production projects in process. I also want to thank Kevin and Sam Sorbo from Sorbo Studios for supporting the show. Sorbo Studios is producing some amazing family-friendly and faith-based movies with Kevin and Sam's decades-long experience in the industry. You can find out more at sorbostudios.com. What was some of the psychological tests that they gave to see if you were suitable to be a, a pilot, fighter pilot? Well, well, one of the tests I remember well because I, I didn't know the purpose of it, what it proved. But anyway, they had like a 78, uh, 78 uh, RPM record, you know, the old Victrola type, the regular big record. And there was a little dot on it. And you held a little pen in your hand. And that thing went around the turntable. And you had to try to keep your your pen on the top of that dot. And uh, that was one of, the, one of them. And then there was also uh, a psychiatrist with, you know, question you on all sorts of things. And one of them that uh, really, uh, my lack of memory, uh, he, they asked if you were ever unconscious. And I said, no, I forgot all about the time I was about 12 years old and uh, in a ice skating race. And somebody clipped the back, back of my skate and I went up in the air and cracked my head, <laughs> hit my head and was out for about... <laughs> Uh, unconscious for about uh, 20 minutes and uh i just uh, after it happened you know i never i never even thought of it again but fortunately i did uh uh say i didn't uh well i was never unconscious but i found out later that if you were unconscious for one minute you would be washed out (laughs) so that was a fluke that uh allowed me to continue my training and uh uh, finally end up uh, a pilot but uh, it was uh, it was about a, a, a two week uh, affair where we would uh, in addition to uh, we were doing all athletics during the same time but we were uh, being evaluated on various uh, various types of uh, activities that we did that sort of thing so I imagine yeah. the disc with the dot with the pen was that to simulate you aiming and shooting at another plane, and if you can aim? Well, that, that may have been one of the things. It may have been just coordination. I mm. think we had to switch hands, too, yeah, 
first with the right and put the left or left if you're lefty, right? So on. So after so, you finished uh, your basic training in, I guess, the States, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, I graduated uh, from uh, a flight school in uh, Napier, Alabama, Napier Field, uh, Dothan, Alabama, uh, on, and uh, received my wings there. And then from there, and then I, and then we got to leave, and then we got back, and then we checked out the P-40N, the Warhawk. Same, the type of aircraft, the Flying Tigers, you know. With P-40N, the shark yeah. Yeah, yeah P- P-40N. And uh, I, I got 10 hours of that. And in addition, we got some gunnery training. We went down to the Gulf, uh, and we had uh, we shot at a target. It was a big, a long rag, you know, that, and uh, and uh, you come in and uh, fire fire at that to check your uh, your aerial uh, skills and firing, and uh, and then uh, we I went to. Uh, uh, Tallahassee, where we got a lot of ground school uh, uh, talking about. Uh, we had uh, uh, guest speakers uh, who had been in combat in the very in both the theaters in the Pacific and the, and they would uh, uh, talk about the tactics and uh, uh, the experience, how what we could expect if we we're in those theaters. And we also had many many lectures on venereal diseases, <laughs> and they taught. I, I never knew there was <laughs> anyway, and then how to prevent them, and of course the only way to prevent them was abstinence. <laughs> so <laughs> that would uh, that was a sort of a wake up uh, to a former <laughs> uh, seminarian. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, uh, from there we I went down to Fort Myers, Florida, Pagefield, and I, we. We were flying P-40s. In Florida, there were about oh, seven or eight uh, uh, units, uh, bases, and some of them, uh, most of them flew P-51s. I think we were the only ones that had P-40s. But anyway, I got 240 hours in the P-40 and, uh, at, uh, at uh, Fort Myers. And, uh, and then was uh, in the, on the 1st of November, of uh, 1944, I boarded the Ile de France, the the French luxury liner that was uh, converted to a troop ship. And and we started off towards Scotland without the convoy because it was faster than the subs. Anyway, we get over to to, uh, to Scotland and uh, uh, we get uh, uh, processed and uh, assigned uh, units, and I was assigned to the 20th Fighter Group, uh, 55th Fighter or 20th Fighter Group, at uh, Kingscliff, uh, England, which is about 90 near Peterborough, and it's about 90 miles north of London. And uh, that was my uh, my combat unit. I arrived, uh, and uh, of course, we the the unit had the P51s and. Of course, the seven of us that arrived, uh, neither none of us said we were all P-40 times. So we checked out the P-51, got about 15 hours in it, and started flying combat. I think I flew my first combat on the 12th of December of 1944. So wait a minute, you had 
50 hours or 15 15 hours to learn the the p51 mustang yeah yeah that's not a lot well you know it was we the p40 was it was just a step up from the p40 i mean the p40 was the and all the characteristics the main the the thing is the unit that we were assigned to the 20th fighter group had p38s before I arrived, and they had just transitioned to P-51s uh, uh, about, uh, I think it was in July or August that they had transitioned uh, from P-38s to P-51s, and they were still having problems uh, checking out uh, in the P-51 when I arrived. and Because uh, uh, the P-38 has counter-rotating props, and there's no torque. I mean, uh, but the the P fifty one and the P forty had a lot of torque. That as it would, the engine would pull you to the left, and you had to put in a lot of trim and this sort of stuff. You had to really watch it, and so it was actually it was much easier for us having P forty time to check out in the fifty one than it was for P thirty eight people to check out in the fifty one. So I never thought about having to adjust. Uh talk like that because I, I flow a little a little bit with the air cadets myself i just want to be a a fight fighter pilot but um life took a different direction um but um i guess i wasn't as powerful a plane that i could have felt the torque with all, all i was really feel was the wind because you know when you're flying a yep. small plane it's was was there much buffeting when the, in the p51 was there much what buffeting in in the, in the wind oh no 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 no, no. yeah it was uh a very very smooth aircraft. We I really enjoyed it. To give you an idea of uh, of uh, the 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 unit, uh, our our average age was twenty two years old. Our group commander, full colonel, was uh, twenty eight years old, commanding some uh, thousands of men flying lots of aircraft uh, on combat missions. So that was that was the atmosphere. Uh, I was on the young. I was nineteen and and turned twenty, and uh, and uh, during my time there. So the night before your first combat mission, how did you feel? Oh, I felt excited. I was anxious to go. I was ready to go to war, and uh, you know. For, you gave me a two thousand horsepower engine uh, aircraft, uh, and uh, with six fifty caliber machine guns, uh, three in each wing, and said, "Go do your job." And we were well trained on what the job was to be done. And then, what when you're practicing firing on stationary targets on the ground? At what kind of range were you firing these fifty cal's? To get oh, a good uh, hit. Uh, for, well, we'd uh, we'd start firing probably uh, oh, hundred, little over hundred yards out, and, and that, uh, that close. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We we right now that you'll see many many a combat film where uh, you're going right through the debris. A lot of people were lost going through the debris. The engine would blow up, or a uh, ammunition car would blow up, and uh, and uh, you were going right through. It. 
So it w- it was down what I like to call grass cutting uh, level. <laughs> Expensive grass cut. So so what was your first mission, and where did you take off from? Well, we took off all of our missions. I well, not all, but most ninety percent of the missions we took off from uh, Kings Cliff at, uh, from the airport there. And uh, all right, my first mission uh, was uh, really uneventful. It was uh, escorting B seventeens to targets. I believe it was in the Magdeburg area. It was about a six hour mission. And uh, we didn't run into any. We had a lot of flak. That is a lot of, uh, uh, of uh, ground fire at us, but uh, it was uh, it was uneventful. So Kingscliff, that's the UK. It was what was was Kingscliff Airport in the UK? Oh yes, yes. Kingscliff right. was was at uh, at uh, about ninety miles north of uh, uh, London. Just uh, and uh, just off the wash uh, uh, of, uh, in England, we most we'd be going out over the wash and then across the channel. Nineteen forty-three to nineteen fifty-nine. So this um, this six-hour mission, how many wingmen or, or how many P fifty ones were were escorting? And did you know all the pilots there? Oh, it was. It wasn't a very. I think it was only about five hundred bombers or something like that. Five hundred, only five hundred yeah, bombers. Yeah, a couple hundred, a couple hundred P fifty ones. It wasn't a, a big. Many of the missions were well over a thousand aircraft. I Unbelievable. Mean, well this over a thousand bombers and another nine hundred fighters. I mean, today you hear about maybe I don't know how many planes <laughs> did it start of the desert storm. Maybe I don't know how many planes there was. Maybe a hundred at the most. But on a different level. Plus, they had older technology and older manufacturing. It's, the scale of yeah, World they, War Two is just unimaginable nowadays. I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, some of the missions, depending upon the, the weather conditions, you know, you know, you've seen the contrails that you that a uh, heavy aircraft uh, leaves at altitude. Well, it would be a clear day when we went out, and then when we came back, it was an overcast day, from, <laughs> practically from the caused by the. Uh, the uh, the contrails, the uh, uh, vapor uh, the bombers made. The whole sky was uh, covered. You can see, if you see one of the really big missions, like, uh, oh, there was was one mission uh, we took off. I I think we had uh, 1,200 bombers and... uh, 950 some odd uh, B-51s, and we were all grouped. We were going, it, they weren't all on one target. The whole force uh, uh, rendezvoused uh, all just about uh, as you got near Magdeburg, and then the the various groups would uh, split off. Uh, some would go to uh, Magdeburg, some would go to Potsdam, some to Berlin, some to uh, the other uh, places. So the big force would change. And there were probably in each one of the smaller forces, uh, 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 groups were uh, some 400, 300, uh, depending, between two and and 400 aircraft. Mm -hmm. I wonder how they managed to know your position so that they could coordinate you back at headquarters on the big physical map that they use 
maybe they had some kind of radar policies or something? No, we had no radar. We had the only thing we had was our, our, our uh, I mean, you had radio between aircraft, but as far mm-hmm. as navigation, there was no navigational equipment. I think there was a beacon. Uh, you, we could use what, what, but most of it was dead reckoning. You know, you, you had your map and you, you figured out what the wind was. You'd, and, uh, you would, uh, just, uh, follow your map and your mm-hmm. your headings you knew i came back from one mission from i lost my oxygen uh oh i think it was over czechoslovakia now we were it was a long it was a long mission and then, and i came back normally somebody comes back with you but they i had to, i came, i went back by myself and uh so i had to or I was navigating uh, back. I had to be down below 10,000 feet because I had no oxygen. So I uh, was coming back, and uh, about halfway into uh, through Germany, I, I saw an airfield, and then I looked up, and I saw four uh, FW-190s. Uh, they, had, they were high, and they saw me, and I uh, they started down at me, so... What I, I did, I could have done two things. I could have turned into them and had a dog fight and got my butt shot shot off, or uh, I could hide in the clouds. So I, I, I went up into the clouds at about 10,000 feet and uh, uh, was able to dead reckon it back to uh, to England. I made it back to England, okay, and landed about a six-and-a-half-hour mission all told. So when when was the first time you discovered met an enemy fighter in combat, and what was it, what did it feel like? Uh, well, that was uh, what was it? I think it was my twelfth mission, sometime in early February, and uh, this was a, a, one of the big forces. It had over a thousand and uh, uh, bombers, and uh, we were headed towards Bargain, uh, to uh, targets in northern, north, northern and western part of Germany, Berlin, Magdeburg, uh, 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 Potsdam, and all all of those uh, areas. And about the time we got to Magdeburg, uh, we were hit by a couple of hundred one o nines, and then the one o nines came through the force. Uh, and their their tactic was to send a 109 to and uh, hit and run, hit try to hit hit a bomber and then run, hoping to draw the fighters, uh, uh, and uh, which which happened often where the fighters would go and start chasing the 109s and the bombers were left alone, and so uh, and then after the 109s came through, another hundred or so uh, 109s the. Uh, radio engine uh, uh, aircraft, and they would uh, uh, stay and uh, chew up the the bombers. And the to me, it was just a sort. Of, uh, this was my first encounter with the with the enemy, and the wings falling, parachutes falling, engines falling, and debris all over the sky, and uh, also a lot of enemy fighters. And I 
I came, I was coming across and I, I saw a 190 and we were coming head on and we were firing at each other. Uh, my uh, my uh, flight leader, he was on the tail of the 190, but I was coming head on at him with firing. So he couldn't, he, he didn't want to fire because he could have hit me. So I, I saw some hits around the wing and I passed under him at about probably 70, 50, 75 feet. And then as soon as I passed under him, my flight leader zapped him and <laughs> he went down. So, man, sometimes I just wish really, they had really, better cameras. That was really an exhilarating experience. And it really, really uh, made me uh, realize how, how uh, brave the, uh, the, the, uh, bomber crews were, they, they were something, you know, they would just go on, they're going 150, 160 miles an hour. And they're, uh, have to stay, you know, with the large, huge formations and they can't duck. If the flak is coming, we were running all over the sky, you know, we we're, we're too worried about the flak and, and they would go through the flak and then they were hit by a, a barrage of, uh, of uh, fighters. If they still went on to the target, they they would hit the target. I never saw any of them deter from their their mission, and I thought they were the bravest of the brave. And I wish that I I I was hoping that I could only be that brave or meet that that's kind of standard. But they were they were they had the really really bad time. You know, a fighter pilot he doesn't see all the damage, but the bomber crews uh, they'd be hit and you know. Half the crew would be blown apart. The ones that survived were, you know, bailing out. Some of them with with limbs missing and things like that. And that's you know they they really saw the the grit and uh, the the horrors of uh, what a war is. Where fighter pilot really did have that uh, experience. Yeah, because people don't really think that realize that basically you're you're alone a lot of the time and the people that you're fighting are not you're not with a bayonet you know sticking it in someone's liver and seeing them scream right. you're, you're, yeah. you're just shooting these 50 cals so in, in the combat what kind of distance were you firing when when did you decide to fire on an on a enemy fighter what what range and what what situations well uh the 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 uh, the range, uh, I, I I really can't remember. It was I, I think around uh, oh a uh, couple hundred yards, something like that. It's uh, close. I mean that's yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a couple of football fields, <laughs> American football. And and I and would most of the shooting be done when you're either. Well, I guess most of it's going to be when the guys try to evade you, so you've got to adjust. Yeah. It's not you're not often going to get just a straight target, yeah. to, you know. Yeah. Well, this, the, the difference was, you know, the 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 dog fight was, uh, I wouldn't say a, a rare, but it was uh, more more often than none. Uh, the uh, uh, the kill was. You came up behind one and you zapped him, like mm-hmm. I did with uh, Shuck. I, you know, he was he was involved in blowing up B seventeens, and I was able to get behind him without him noticing, and I uh, zapped him. So 
I mean, there was no uh, dog fighting involved. And then besides that, a 262 and a P-51, you wouldn't uh, dog fight the, 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 uh, the various uh, uh, characteristics of each aircraft wouldn't lend it to uh, uh, a 262. If it was tried to dogfight, it would have to slow down to get the maneuverability. The faster you go, the less movement maneuverable you are. So, All right. Yeah. Because I played a lot of computer games as a kid where you're basically dogfighting a lot, but I never thought that because they're different speeds than then there's not going to be much time where you can be shooting each other, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. That's a, I guess that's a good thing or, and a bad thing because maybe you, it's less exciting for you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, it was, it was a, it's a, it, most of the, the kills of the 262 were, uh, were t- them, they were, the 262 was vulnerable on takeoff, of course, and on landing, and if the P fifty one or if the the fighter, the the, the uh, adversary, the aircraft had a altitude, a speed advantage, uh, which would be caused by uh, altitude. Now, when I was uh, going after uh, Ashok, I was, uh, uh, I think, was I was doing well. I know I, I was doing four hundred and uh, 420 knots at 20,000 feet, and you convert this to ground speed, uh, there's 2% per 1,000 feet. So that's 40%. I was going 40% faster than my airspeed indicated at uh, 20,000 feet as far as ground speed is concerned. And it was, uh, so I was doing uh, something close to five, 500, 500. Oh, I didn't know, I didn't know the Mustangs could go that fast. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. You you would hit the comp- compressibility uh, when you got up into the five hundred uh, sphere, and uh, compressibility would uh, cause uh, uh, severe changes in your your surfaces, control surfaces. Is that about uh, the, the compressing uh, of the sound waves? Pardon. Is that the compressibility of the sound waves when you're approaching speed of yeah, sound? Yeah, when you're right. approaching when you're approaching the sound, the speed of sound, uh, you would uh, your aircraft would uh, would eventually disintegrate if if uh, you kept uh, pushing it. And we had a couple guys in the unit that in dives they did uh, hit the uh, compressibility and they they were killed. If if that wasn't a factor, could the Mustang hit the speed of sound? No, the, the, the Mustang would. In fact, uh, I uh, had the, the story of a of a two six two pilot who was uh, on this mission, and he uh, uh, was being chased by some fifty ones, and he went down full, you know, down to the deck, and when he when he got down to about uh, oh. 100, 500 feet, he started uh, losing control of his uh, of his, uh, his 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 controlled surfaces were were acting up, and he was in, and he had compressibility, but he was able to uh, to uh, uh, bring the speed back and uh, and uh, survive it. But uh, he he makes a, a good. Uh, 
narration of uh, what he went through and that. So this, um, these two six twos were jet engines. I was under the impression that there wasn't many jet engines, German planes in the war, but you seem to have encountered a few of them. Oh yeah, yeah. There was a uh, fact uh, the day. I think the day I was shot down on the tenth of April, where where ship was involved. I think there were fifty some odd, fifty five or sixty two six two shot down or destroyed, not shot down but destroyed. Hmm. And what what was the name of the guy that you shot down and you eventually became uh, friends Walter with? Shook. Uh, Walter Shook. Uh, Walter Shook. Over over uh, lightning. Walter Shook. Uh, Knights Cross of the Iron Cross uh, with Palm. Uh, Five hundred uh, missions. And uh, destroyed uh, 198 uh, aircraft uh, with the FW one, I mean the ME one hundred nine, and uh, eight aircraft with the two six two. The ME one hundred nine, yeah, the one probably the most famous German fighter. Yeah, what he was one of the uh, one of the top uh, with uh, two hundred and six kills. Uh, I saw him shoot down two B-17s in a so row. So. You shot down one of the best fighter aces in World War Two. Yeah. That's quite a good bragging, right? So I, I've just gone to a club, yeah. I, I shot down the, one of the best fighters in the world. Well, you know? the thing is, I didn't even know that I, that he that the damage I did. I I hit him and I saw uh, the uh, smoke coming off of his left engine uh, and, and some flame and, and he uh, went down to the down to the deck and uh, at, at three thousand, about three thousand feet, he disappeared into some clouds. And uh, I, of course, I was chasing him all the way, and of course, he was pulling away from me as we were going down. And so uh, he went into the cloud bank, and uh, and then I wasn't going to follow him in there. And so I look over, I see a, uh, an airfield full of uh, aircraft. So I decided to start strafing it. And uh, Walter tells me the later, you know, when we'll be get together and all that, some sixty years, sixty some odd years later, that when he went into the cloud back, he, he was he thought I was going to follow him, so he made a started making a ninety degree, I mean a, a ninety degree turn, and as he was turning, the engine the engine just disintegrated, and he had to bail out. So that was, uh, you know, it was not until. Oh, it was 1996, 1997, about 2000, yeah, around the, uh, between 1998 and 2000 that I discovered that it possibly, that I possibly shot down Walter Schuch. And by the time, and the, all the German researchers and the, the region and all the European researchers were really going after it because they all wanted to, they, they, for years, they had been trying to find out who shot down Walter Schuck. And they finally came to the conclusion that that was positively no mistake that I shot down Walter Schuck. <laughs> because how, how did you actually even go about researching something as complicated as that? I mean, well, yeah, the thing, the thing that, that started it all was uh, back in the well, I think it was 1996, 1997, 
that I got a a uh, a letter from Germany from a uh, uh, golly, uh, oh, I, I I can't remember his name. He was uh, anyway. Uh, uh, come on, oh boy. Uh, anyway, he, he he sent me a letter. Said he was a thirteen-year-old boy hiding in the ditch at Berg, Germany, and uh, he saw all that happened when I was shot when I bailed out over Berg, and uh, landed and captured and uh, interrogated, and he saw where the airplane landed. I mean, uh, crashed, and uh, that berg of course was in east germany and this is and then when the reunification took place a lot of the tv east german tv stations started doing uh uh documentaries on recovering aircraft well he talked to the men to doing a a a, a search for my aircraft saying he knew where exactly what well anyway uh they found it and for 18 months, he was trying to find a pilot uh, of uh, of that aircraft. And after 18 months, he, it, my name, it was my the uh, name that came up. That uh, and then he sent me a letter asking me if yeah, that <laughs> excuse me. And uh, so uh, he. Uh, Asked me if, if that was my. I said, yeah. Well, everything sounds the same. I, I'm sure that it was my my aircraft, and it was paraffined later by the the serial number and this sort of thing. I'm amazed that they can, that that field of fifty something years they could have found it under all that you know yeah, changing well, earth and stuff. Deep. It, it was deep. <laughs> I've got pictures of of them doing with the back hole, and it was a good ten feet down before they started pulling out pieces. The one with the, they're pulling up the prop and that sort of stuff. But uh, anyway, after uh, several uh, uh, letters back and forth, I get a call from uh, the TV producer there in in Germany, in Berg, and he's asking if uh, I could do uh, come to Germany uh, to do a uh, a uh, another uh, a follow-on uh, documentary on uh, you know here's the pilot that blew through the aircraft stuff, and I said no. My head wife had just just had a stroke, so I was her sole caregiver. So I said no, I couldn't get there, and so they he said, well, how about us coming to Colorado Springs? That's where I was living, and I said yeah. So anyway, arrangements were made for him to come, and Walter. Uh, and not Walter, uh, Werner, Werner Dietrich. He's the 13-year-old boy. Of course, he's in his 70s now. I mean, he was since his 70s back then. So he and the crew all came to Colorado Springs and brought me parts of my, my aircraft. <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, we spent uh, some time together. Well, Werner thought that I was part of the group that... Uh, that uh, uh, was bombing uh, 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 Magdeburg. And when I told him the story about, no, I was uh, on, at the, on the raid on Oranienburg and that I, I uh, encountered this ME-262 and um, I 
got some hits on his engine. He disappeared and so on. And uh, when they left Colorado Springs, Werner said, I'm going to find that 262 pilot. And I said, well, yeah, good luck. So anyway, about two months later, I get a letter. He he didn't have computers, so it was all snail mail back and forth, you know, 10 days to get there and 10 days to get back and all that. But anyway, he he comes back. He says, Eureka, I found him. It's Walter Shook, top base and all that sort of stuff. I said, well, yeah. He said, everything matches. I said, well, yeah, I, I'll, I'll take 50% uh, a chance that it's true because of the fog of war and everything. It has to be more than that. Mm-hmm. So I left it at that until I think it was 2002. Uh, Christopher Bergstrom, who was a prolific uh, Swedish writer on on the war between the the air wars uh, uh, over Europe during World War II, he sent me uh, a, uh, an email and asked. He said, I, "I understand that you wrote a narration of your shootdown of uh, of a two six two back in uh, uh, just after the after the war after you returned and." The States, I said, yeah. He said, would you mind sending me that? And I said, yeah. And Krister uh, uh, is, is the, was writing uh, Walter Shook's biography. That's why he was so interested. And he had been trying to find, you know, who shot him down all this time. So anyway, uh, I, I sent him the, uh, the email. And about two days, two, three days later, he says, 100% sure you shot him down. I said, well, how can you? He says, all your, your, the timing and everything is perfect. He says, uh, everything is exactly on the dot. I said, well, that's still maybe a 98% chance, but I said, it can't be positive. He says, yes, it can, because Walter Shook is the only uh, uh, 262 pilot that shot down two B-17s in a row on that mission, and you saw him shoot down. He, th- he said, in fact, he shoot, shot down four. He shot down two before he went into your box, and then uh, you saw him shoot down the last, the the uh, the next two, and uh, it has to be you. <laughs> he says you in your narration say you saw him shoot this two six two, shoot him down, and explained how he shot him down exactly. He says that it has to be you. I said okay, great. And how did so, you manage to shoot him down? Because that's a faster plane than yours. Well, see, I, I was uh, flying to high cover. Actually, we were we were our we were in this great this big twelve hundred so nine hundred so fighters, and we were the bombers were splitting up. Well, I my was group was uh, escorting uh, uh, some four hundred and fifty plus uh, uh, B seventeens from the first uh, 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 air division. And uh, we had some, uh, I think, uh, 300 or so fighters with that, with that group. And, and our particular box of bombers uh, was fined about uh, oh, 22, 23,000. And I was up uh, flying high cover at about 28,000. And uh, just as we got to the target, and the bombers let go with their loads. Uh, they were hit. We were hit by a whole swarm of uh, ME262s, uh, and uh, it was a, a, a Walter Shook's group that, that hit us. There were seven uh, 262s, 
and uh, I saw this. Uh, I, I saw this one six two, and I immediately latch onto him with my eyeballs, and I'm looking, and he's uh, and I'm rolling over down at him, and I, he's pulling up behind the seventeen, and he blows him, and then he moves over to he he, he moves over to another B seventeen, and by that time, I've got throttle full open, I'm coming going like hell. I'm pulling into his uh, his uh, six o'clock position, and then simultaneously I start firing, and he blows up the two six two. I mean the the B seventeen, and I see some hits of this left wing, and, uh, and and engine, and there's some smoke and fire, and he just does a, a rolling turn over to the right, and start and I start down uh, after him, and of course as as he's going down, uh, I'm losing losing my speed advantage, caused you know as a result of the altitude advantage I had. And uh, when he gets out to about three thousand feet, he disappears into the clouds. And I don't follow. Oh, so he, so he he was in a what was he flying again? What was he? What? Uh, Walter. What plane he was, was flying? Me two six two. Two six two. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That explains the speed. Yeah. Wow, and and so um, that's some good aiming. It's, I, I guess you you were sort of aiming in front of him, or like, or you just shoot straight at him, or or he had to, you had to sort of imagine where no, he'd be. He, he he's concentrating on shooting down the B seventeen, mm. and I'm coming down like this, <laughs> and he's there, and I and about the time I get here, he blows up the the seventeen, and I'm getting hits of this thing. And then he rolls over and starts down towards Berlin. And I'm following, following him down. Hmm. Fascinating. And this, the, the trigger for the gun, is it on the the yoke? Oh, on, on my gun? Yeah. No, it's a, it's a we, only, we don't have a yoke in a 51. It's a stick. Right. It's a, you have it a stick. has a pistol grip on it. Right, and right. You, and you have a, a little trigger. And uh, that's that's how you fire. Does it have like a safety, or you just like you must have a safety, right? Because you don't want oh, yeah, to it's off. got a safety. Yeah. It has a safety, a red safety lid over the, the trigger, and you actually pop it up. And how many rounds in each gun did you have? Oh golly, I can't remember. Just hundreds, hundreds, hundreds. <laughs> and so, did, did all the six always fire at the same time? Yes, they'd all fire, mm. and you had a camera also mounted in the wing that. That fo- that photographed what you were. I mean, it was a movie camera, a sixteen mm-hmm. millimeter movie camera, and it would, uh, f- you know, take a picture of what you're doing. And why why were the cameras in, in these planes? Because that that space could be used for more ammo or something like that. A uh, what? Why why was there cameras in all these planes? Oh, to uh, to to show what damage you did. Right, right. I mean, you, you go and you you want to cl- you you destroy a, be- a a a locomotive, and the camera takes a picture of the locomotive right, right. blowing up. Well, you know, you blew up, and the same thing with shooting down an aircraft. I mean, you're coming, and it shows you t- coming into the tail of that aircraft. Mm-hmm. I'm sure my camera had the whole the whole situation with 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 Chuck, and, and, and but of course my camera. <laughs> Was uh, ten feet under. So, so where are these films? Are these something that we can see, or or what? Are oh yeah, lost? yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got. I still, I have my camera, gun camera film from uh, 
from uh, Vietnam. I mean, from uh, Korea, from Korea. Yeah, it's a, that's a really interesting one because it was all ground support. Can, can, can we get this film of you shooting shooting Walter down for the podcast? Is that is that something that we oh, can no, shoot? No, there, there, there is no. Oh, there is no. My aircraft was destroyed, and the camera along with it. Oh, right. My yeah. guns. I have got pictures of my guns that they retrieved, and they're just like pretzels. <laughs> they're, they're just completely destroyed. I was doing probably a couple hundred miles an hour when I uh, when I hit the ground. I mean, when the aircraft hit the ground. So, Joe, can you tell me a little bit how you managed to get shot down and what it was like as a, a POW? Well, yeah, at the uh, as I, I told you before, after uh, uh, Walter disappeared into the clouds, I looked over and I saw this uh, airfield just loaded with uh, uh, German aircraft. So I decided to to go. Actually, I was with my my flight leader, uh, Captain Tracy. He had followed me down while I fought, so we were uh, together. So we uh, he, we went into the uh, to the uh, to the airfield. We got down real low, cut grass level, you know, fifty feet, and. Uh, wide open throttles and uh, because we wanted surprise and we were able to get it and we made our first pass and we each got one each one uh, got one uh, uh, aircraft and came around for the second pass and uh, uh, Tracy got two more and I got one and I and then I concentrated on a, a gun tower a flak tower and I uh, was shooting it up and then uh, we come around for the third pass, and uh, Tracy gets uh, two more. So he got a total of four that he destroyed, and I get one. Uh, fighter and, uh, planes? Yeah, these are these are uh, bombers, uh, oh. fighters. You know, it's an airfield just loaded. It's a big, on a great big grass, uh, uh, grassed area, and they're dispersed all around, and... Yeah, just like shooting, yeah. shooting, shooting cats in the bottle. Cats. <laughs> and uh, so, as he's got, uh, coming off of his third pass, he uh, he gets a twenty millimeter up through the the uh, rear of the aircraft and up through the cockpit. And later, I find out that it that it burnt the seam in his pants as his flying suit <laughs> as it went out. But anyway, he was low, and about three. And I I, I saw his you know matter of, of seconds, uh, I saw the hit, the smoke, and I saw this canopy go, and then I saw him go out about 300 feet. He landed in a little a river that was uh, adjacent to the airfield, the uh, Schoenwalde. And uh, so I, 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 I continued to make passes by, I was by myself, and I, I, I made another uh, uh, pass and uh, got another aircraft and uh, started a hangar on fire. So I had four then, and then I saw this uh, this FW two hundred, which is the Condor, a big four engine aircraft, was part of Hitler's fleet. That uh, and so uh, I come around and as I'm coming in on it, the uh, I felt a thud and and I. Fired and I blew up the the two the uh, the Condor, and as I was coming off, I felt another thud, and then I started getting oil over the windscreen. Uh, Not a good sign when you're flying at 500, 400 miles an hour. 
I'm yeah, I'm flying uh, well over 450, close to, and uh, and uh, I'm coming up. So I was able to make it up to 10,000 feet, and uh, with the manipulation of throttle there's, uh, and uh, prop control and uh, mixture and all those, I can't even remember the sequence of it. But I, I was able to get to keep the engine running a little bit, but. I had to make the decision whether to go east towards the Germans, and uh, this is right at, in the Berlin area, so and uh, uh, east towards the Russians or west. We were briefed that the Allied forces were fighting in Magdeburg, so I did, and that was about ninety miles, eighty ninety miles away. So I decided to go west and uh, try to make it back to Mag over the lines at Magdeburg. So anyway, as I'm coming back, I'm losing altitude slowly uh, all along. And by the time I get to Magdeburg, I'm down to 1,000 feet. And I figure, well, I'm not going to make I'm going to have to bail out my engine burning. So I unstrap everything. I unstrap ready to bail. And then I look over to my right, and I see an FW-190 coming at me. So it's 3 o'clock coming right and so I turned I'm able to turn maneuver my aircraft turn into him and as I'm turning into him he fires and he misses fortunately and uh, goes flying by and he had both uh, guns and rockets so he fired both fortunately he missed of course and then I'm that I look down and by 500 feet and I said hell I'm too low to bail out I'm going to have to belly this yeah, in. Now, this yeah. is all taking place in milliseconds, you know. And uh, I'm going to have to, uh, oh, hell, I'm unstrapped. I'll kill myself bellying in because I'm unstrapped. I have no shoulder harness, no belt seatbelt. Right so I, I'm going to have to go out the side. Well, you're supposed to go out the right side, which if you go out the right side, the, the, the torque of the engine will throw you off to the right. If you go out the left side, it'll throw you into the aircraft. But anyway, I'm about 350 feet. I'm off on the wing, and I let go, and I hit my knee with the uh, on the uh, horizontal uh, stabilizer. I pull the rip cord. I swing once and hit the ground hard. Did you so get any? I, did, you, did it slow your Did it slow your fall? The parachute. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 but, but, but the parachute worked perfectly. You know, it popped and that slowed me down. And then I swung once, and then the second swing. Oh right, 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 yeah, right, right, right. I, I hit the ground. The guy's and probably then, wondering why you bailed out on him hitting you. So. I, I, I had to see, look at the situation. I'm, I had birds on my my leg from the, the fire uh, in the aircraft and on my arms, but I was, you know, okay. Uh, and uh, so I stand up and I, I'm i in the middle of a field, hundreds of acres all around me, just, you know, the uh, town buildings about maybe a couple hundred uh, yards away, but absolutely no escape. And there's about 10 farmers coming running at me, at me with their pitchforks and all this sort of stuff. And about the time they're about 10, 15 yards from me, they uh, roar, I hear a roar, and here's this uh, motorcycle pulls up with a Luftwaffe sergeant on it. And he pulls out his lugger and fires a shot in the, in the air and stops the civilians. 
And the, do you think the civilians would have would have killed you? They were they were going to do me in. Yeah, they, really? Oh yeah, absolutely. There was no. On that day, there were. Uh, this is a, a side thing, but uh, 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 Sergeant Lewis, uh, who was one of the B seventeen pilots, uh, uh, he and two others uh, uh, bailed out and made it and you made a safe uh, landing. But uh, two of them were killed by the civilians. Really, I never heard of that before. Civilians killing. So, that, so they, that's that's what's happened and uh, was happening, but uh, then uh, almost simultaneously, a bunch of uh, town people, uh, yeah, not town people, but the town officials like the burgermeister and the, the chief of police and several others were out there. They sergeant and they start talking. What they wanted to do is take me into town and uh, interrogate me, which they did. They decided to agree. They, so we go into the building, and immediately the police chief, who is probably old guy, about 45 years old. <laughs> to <Whoa>. be, I'm 20. <laughs> so, and uh, he's, got a, he's got an artificial uh, right hand, black leather, and uh, I, I figured that he must be a World War uh, One, uh, you know, uh, and uh, you know, lost his head World War One or something. Just uh, anyway, he but takes these, out these, of these Nazis saved your life, basically. Yeah, the, yeah. the sergeant did. Yeah, the Luftwaffe sergeant. Hmm. But the, the the police chief he takes out his Luger and puts it to my head. What's to blow me here uh, on the spot? And the the the, the Luftwaffe sergeant. None of that. He pulls his look out, and it's a sort of a standoff. And, and then the sergeant says, "We're there's a big crowd uh, gathering outside, yelling and screaming and stuff like stuff Wait a minute. like that." This this Nazi officer threatened the policeman who was going to shoot you. With... Yeah, the sergeant saved me. Amazing. Yeah. So he he says we're leaving, and then he takes me out. Puts me on the motorcycle and off we go to uh, the airfield at Bern, which was a, a, a experimental aircraft. Uh, they did a lot of uh, uh, new uh, things uh, for new aircraft and stuff like that. And uh, he was telling me, as uh, one was, he says, you know, the, the reason they're so. This I could speak a little German. He could speak a little English. If it was wasn't this clear, but he was he he he, he let me know that the reason they were so ticked off as a three year old, a couple of days before, a group of P fifty ones strafed the the area, and uh, a little th- a three year old girl was uh, blown apart. Sheesh. And that's why they were. And for all I know, uh, could have been some relation to the police chief. You know, you you don't you don't want to. So that, that a girl was on the runway or something like that, or why they were just shooting up houses or something? Do they know why they were shooting it? Uh, you know, I have no idea of what the circumstances or if it was true or if it was just a bunch of bull crap or what. You know? I mean, like, I mean, the Germans were bombing London, so I guess yeah, just this fog of war and both. So anyway, we get to the Perfect. the, uh, the airfield at Berg and. They put me in the local uh, the jail, the, the airport jail, and uh, uh, get interrogated for about three days uh, by Gestapo. Uh, nothing, you know, nothing serious, just intense interrogation, which I, you know, I just 
name brand cereal lumber. So they didn't get any place what they do the word. But each one of these nights, we were bombed by the RAF. So I had to go to the, I, I went into the bomb shelter. They brought me into the bomb shelter with all the Germans. I'm sitting there while the RAF is bombing the hell out of them. And I'm sitting there with all these Germans. They're just looking at me with full of hate. So uh, that went on for uh, three nights. And then they decided to ship me off to, uh, uh, and I was talking to the, the, the guy that, that ran the little, the, the jail there that I was in. Uh, and uh, he was telling me about all the experimental aircraft they were working on and stuff like that. The new, uh, and he, but he, his main concern was that I'd leave him a note saying that he treated me, me well. He knew the war was over. Yeah, this is the, the 10th of April, 1945. And so I left him a note and because he did. And he was a good guy. And uh, I thought, you know, everything I said. Anyway, I get to the trade station and uh, I'm standing there waiting to be put on a boxcar to go to Stalag 11, which was, oh, probably uh, 20 miles away. It wasn't a long uh, distance. But, uh, and I'm standing there, uh, the, one of the, uh, railroad guys, uh, uh, came up to me and, and he said, he, he said, uh, do you know that your president died? I, no, and that was the first I heard. This was the 12th of April. And, uh, and this was what he was telling me it was about the 13th of April. So, uh, he said, uh, yeah, he died on the 12th of April. And I, okay. And he said, you want a schnapps? And I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got a, a nice shot of schnapps and it, wow, it was something else. Anyway, I get it on the boxcar and then end up at Stalag 11. Well, Stalag 11 was a British POW uh, uh, camp and uh, they had already evacuated. They were going, of course, going uh, uh, east uh, as the troops were coming towards it, as I said earlier, we were fighting in Magdeburg. So they had evacuated uh, uh, this this camp. There's only about 100 uh, uh, POWs still there. They were uh, British Tommies. And uh, we were put on, and uh, I spent the night there, and the next morning we all, the 100 of us, or 100 or so, and myself, we started on a march back to... Uh, to uh, uh, towards Berlin, and uh, it was pandemonium. It was thousands of refugees going east and thousands going west, and the army trying to get through the army of trucks and tanks and whatever, and motorcycles, army motorcycles running up and down trying to keep some order, and we were strafed every day by by uh, uh, Allied fighters. <laughs> So that went on for about six or seven days until we got to Lukenvaldi. And Lukenvaldi is uh, uh, just outside of Berlin and uh, probably 20 miles from the from Hitler's bunker. And uh, when I get in there, there, lo and behold, there's Captain Tracy. He was uh, uh, picked up uh, at the airfield after he got out of the lake. He... Uh, out of the river, he uh, uh, was uh, shipped off to Tempelhof, and then from Tempelhof he went, and he was sent to. So he had been out there for about uh, 
oh, 10, 11 days before I got there. And there were uh, two, uh, there was Lieutenant Stewart from the 79th Squadron that was also shot down, and he was there. And then there were uh, two sergeants, uh, Sergeant Krupp, who could speak fluent Russian, and uh, uh, Sergeant Lewis. Who, and both of them were toggleers of the bombers, the, the guys that released the bomb. I mean, the bombs on the B-17s, and both of those were shot down. They were on the same mission. So uh, those four uh, were already at the camp, and they had planned on uh, escaping uh, And when I got there, and I uh, spent probably two days before we decided to go. And escaping was, you know, it, the security was really laxed. Half the, 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 the guards had taken off and, uh, uh, and, uh, because the Russians were coming towards them. And uh, uh, so it was basically just going under the fun, uh, avoiding uh, the few guards that were left and, and going under the fence. So we get out and uh, we go down by a side road and we walk we probably seven, eight miles, something like that, uh, walking towards Berlin. And then we came across this tank unit uh, column that was uh, coming out of Berlin and heading for Wittenberg. So... Uh, Sergeant Krupp, uh, we were in a ditch hiding in the ditch, and Sergeant Krupp goes out and waves them down, and he's able to communicate with them, tell them what the situation is, and they said, yeah, come on. Uh, we'll come along with us. We're going towards Whitmer. I said, it's okay. So we all uh, joined the convoy and uh, started uh, going uh, uh we, we, the first town we came to where we had a skirmish was at uh, uh, Jitterbug. And at Jitterbug, uh, uh, I went on a patrol with a Russian sergeant, and uh, we came to this uh, something. To, uh, so how, how, did you, how did you escape from the POW camp to the Russians? Oh, okay. Uh, there was uh, Stuart, uh, Tracy, uh, Krupp, and... Uh, uh, hmm. Lewis. And uh, I arrived at the POW camp, and uh, they had already planned an escape. And so uh, escape was not that difficult. Uh, a lot of the security had left, so it was just going under the fence at night and avoiding uh, the security that was uh, there. So we started uh, walking towards Berlin and uh, got to uh, uh, about five, six miles down the road at Sergeant Krupp. I came out and uh, uh, I mean, I saw a, a we saw a tank unit coming towards uh, uh, towards us, and uh, uh, we uh, uh, Sergeant Krupp, who could speak Russian, uh, uh, went out and uh, and uh, checked with the lieutenant, and he said, uh, "Fine." Uh, he told him our situation. He said, "Join us, and we'll uh, take you along with us." And so we agreed to that. And we joined the uh, the uh, the column and started headed towards Wittenberg, but the first stop on the way, or the first uh, engagement we had on the way, was uh, fighting in the, the Jitterbug. And uh, during uh, the fight, I went on a patrol with uh, uh, a Russian sergeant and and a and a patrol of Russians, and uh, we came across this uh, apartment uh, complex that was 
really nice. And uh, uh, they were, uh, the Russians were destroyed everything in sight. And uh, we went into the, uh, the into the building and uh, came across as we were in this room and the sergeant said, you guys stand aside. He gets in the middle of the room with his burp gun and stands there going in a circle, just burping, just destroying everything in sight. And I thought at that time, what have I got myself into these guys? So this is basically <laughs> scorched earth revenge. Yeah, yeah. From what the Germans did to Barbarossa to Scottish Air Policy. Absolutely. Horrible, isn't it? It's yeah. Just... So in any event, we from from there we uh we went on towards Wittenberg, had a couple of little skirmishes, nothing to, to speak of, you know. There, I fired my gun a couple of times, that was about it. But in any event, uh when we uh, did, we ended up at, at uh no. I forgot a major part of the story. I it all, it all sounds major to me. Every single step of this story sounds major to me. After after uh, a couple of days, uh, we were sort of separated throughout the, the column. The 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 five of us. I was by myself, and the others were generally together. And. Uh, after a couple of days, I noticed that I could, none of the other guys were around. I started trying to communicate with the uh, the Russians, say, well, where the hell are they? You know, what's going on? They, either because they didn't understand or they didn't want to let me know or whatever. Anyway, I, 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 well, I just described it and just kept on with them and uh, finished the uh, the tour, I mean, uh, the, the column until we got to, I was, was with the column until we got to, uh, uh, to uh, 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 to uh, Wittenberg. Anyway, I'll, I'll interject about the separation. Sixty some odd years later, I was told by Lewis. I said, "Yo, a, a an American general came across and met with the the column in a helicopter." And he brought all of us, the four, the four of us, back, and we were able to return to our units. No way. Now I, this, I, you know, they left me behind. I, I, I have no idea what the hell. I'm the only guy alive, so I, I, there's nobody alive anymore that could tell me all the details of it, or what, why, or where. I don't know if they, they did tell the Russians, that, I mean, the, the general that I was there, or if it was some kind of a, a deal between the Russians, they'd leave one there and take the rest along, or I have no idea. But anyway, I was left behind. Well, you got a unique experience that they didn't have after, so. <laughs> so anyway, we get. We're at, we're, that, that's just the backstory. So anyway, we get to Wittenberg, uh, and uh, I'm in a sort of standing, and they were starting to get, Potsdam was going on, the conference of Spotsdam, and things were getting a little tight between the east and the west. So uh, I, uh, uh, I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not, but they were taking uh, you know, a uh, pretty close uh, watch on me. And uh, and we're at Wittenberg, and, uh, and the United States Army patrol comes across the Elbe and, and uh, meets the lieutenant there. And the, the sergeant in charge of the uh, American patrol, he sees this flight suit back in the background. I was probably 
25, 30 yards away, uh, sort of by the trees and stuff. And you know, he sees that it's a, a, a flight suit. And uh, I mean, they wouldn't let me, I, mean, I, I, I don't know how it happened, but I was unable to go and talk to the, the American patrol. Oh, really? So after after the sergeant sees me, he starts uh, uh, discussing it with the lieutenant. And after uh, sounded like uh, seemed like uh, some few harsh words, they said, "Okay." And they, allies, they, you know. Yeah, yeah. So they let me uh, 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 go, and the sergeant said he's going back with us. So I went back with them. So anyway. That was my the, my end of the time with the uh, the Russians, and uh, which I have many little stories to go along with that. But I uh, it was really a, a really a rewarding and ex- interesting experience uh, that I had with them, uh, uh, from fixing a guy's bike to a, a really big. Uh, a feast of drinking and debauchery and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, I I, I go with the uh, the uh, U.S. Army uh, patrol back to Halle. They were stationed. Their unit was stationed at Halle, which had been a a big uh, Luftwaffe base. And uh, so I'm I'm hanging out with them and go on a couple of patrols with them and. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think of this stuff until sixty, seventy years later. I'm thinking, well, not too long ago. I said, well, "How in the hell come no officer or anybody was interested? Who in the hell this guy is?" Or, you know. Mm-hmm. After I got back, I said, "Anyway, I hang out with the patrol, do uh, play poker, and get a little drunk with them and stuff." And uh, after about three or four days, I get tired of that, and I say, hey, I'm taking off. So I just take off and start heading uh, west. I get down about seven miles uh, away from Holly, and I am uh, uh, see this uh, C-47 cargo plane uh, parked in, the, in this field. And, uh, and uh, there were two uh, lieutenants, the pilots, and uh, a group of about uh, 12, 13 uh, uh, people dressed in uh, political uniform, you know, the striped uh, suits, the, uh, the concentration type of, uh, of garb. And uh, I go over to the lieutenant. I said, hey, what's going on? He says, well, these are some political prisoners that we're, uh, we have uh, were taken back to Paris uh, with us. Uh, and... Uh, and I said, well, if Paris, that sounds good. He said, how about a ride back? He said, sure. <laughs> so I uh, uh, hop on the C-47, and th- these guys were really emaciated. They barely spoke. Germans? Pardon? I think they were French. They were French. Uh, okay. uh, they may have been uh, French Jews. Uh, for all I know, yeah, but they were they were really bad off, and uh, anyway, they, we get to Paris, and uh, that was a big mistake because I, I get off the plane and immediately get grabbed and uh, stamped as return to duty, and uh, deloused with the DDT in a big 
shower sprayed with DDT up all over and uh, all that. And then I get a, a uniform. I, my, my flying suit was getting a little ripe by that time. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I get uh, and then sent down to a, a POW redistribution camp. It was called Camp Lucky, Lucky Strike. They had several of them in the La Harve area. Some were called, uh, they were named by cigarettes, Camp, Camp Campbell, Camp uh, Lucky Strike, Camp Chesterfield, stuff like that. Smoking was a big thing in those days. That's my granddad used to tell me. So anyway, I, I get there, and then after, well, I bet I bump into a, a, a good friend of mine, uh, the... Uh, Bill McGee, who had uh, uh, been shot down. No, he wasn't shot down. He tried to land his P-51 to save uh, Captain Ford, who had uh, uh, had a land in a field, and uh, McGee landed his 51, and they both got stuck. So they were oh, both dear. Yeah. Never leave a man behind, but then you both get yeah. left behind to... <laughs> Tricky so, ethical dilemma that one. Yeah. So anyway, he uh, he and I decided, hell, we're going to go back to our uh, units. So we take go AWOL from the absent without leave uh, uh, from the uh, uh, distribution. It's Camp Lucky Strike. And we go down to Love Harve, and we're at the airfield there. We uh, we bump into a B seventeen that was going back to uh, London. So. We uh, hopped a ride with them, and then uh, from London took the tube uh, up to uh, Cakes Cliff and uh, reunited with our group for a short period of time. But after three days, they said, "You well, they said you can't stay here because you're official POW, and we you can't you can't return to your unit." So I I got a good uh, examination from the flight surgeon and been able to talk, but with the guys, but. but Strangely, I, I don't. I, I didn't have any uh, uh, any contact with. Uh, I don't know if they weren't there when we were there, or they were on leave or something. But anyway, uh, Tracy or Stuart, I never never had any contact with them there. But uh, I, I went ahead and uh, after three days, then McGee and I went back to London and uh, eventually found a ride uh, back to uh, to La Harve and. Uh, we're coming back into the uh, Lucky Strike and just pass through the gates and a, a, a jeep uh, with a couple of uh, MPs come running up and says, "Are you Peter Burns?" I said, "Yeah." He says, "Your trip, your ship, your convoy has already started to leave." He <laughs> hop in, and I hopped in, and uh, all my nice souvenirs are back in my tent and. Uh, <laughs> And so oh, anyway, no. they they take me down to the the port. The ship had already departed, so they throw me in a, a speedboat and take me out to the to the to the boat. And I climb up the side with a rope ladder and uh, end up in the ship. And end up anyway. A long story short, I end up in uh, uh, New York on the first of June, and then back in. Uh, uh, Fort Sheridan at about the 4th or 5th of June and then after a couple of days of uh, administrative stuff I'm home on leave at about the 
uh, 11th or 12th, no, 11th of June, I think, and then uh, uh, then make arrangements immediately to marry my fiance Josephine, who I had named my aircraft after. Lovely. And uh, then I found out that I had to get my mom's permission to get married because I hadn't turned 21 yet. What a time. And we got married on the 13th of June, 1945, and six had 60 beautiful years together before she passed. 60 years. Congratulations. Cool. Well, um, I think that's a, a great uh, place to end this, this first part, but definitely need to do another podcast to get more, maybe some questions on done with this story once I process it, and then maybe talk about your your other wars of about in the yeah, Nam Korea. Yeah. Okay, great. Cool. Well, thanks very much for your time, Joe. Really appreciate well, it. Where will I be able to see the, uh, the the podcast? It will probably take about two or three weeks before I get finished editing because I've got other oh, yeah, things yeah, to edit. Yeah. 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 But uh, where, where does it appear? So I, it, goes I, on I, U- it goes on YouTube. It goes to iTunes. It goes on all the different podcast, main, oh, main oh, podcast okay. platforms. So you can either watch it or you can just listen yeah. to it. Okay. Cool. Well, well thanks okay, for great. Well, it's thank- been my pleasure. It's really been uh, nice to have a nice yeah. little discussion. And I'm really, I'm really honoured that you um, had a chance to talk to to um, I guess one of the few World War Two veterans still alive. So, and you're in great shape. You you know you you sound fresh. You know, and you you look healthy. So, may many many may many more ears hear what you have to yeah. say in the future, and may movies be made from it. And yeah. may you be in the may, may you be in the movies as well. <laughs> <laughs> you deserve yeah. it. You deserve it, man. So great. Well, see you next time, and okay. thanks everyone okay. else. Good. Okay, thank you. Right. Okay. And I'm thanks, sorry and, enough now. Okay. okay. And thanks, and thanks everyone that's that's watched the show as well. Okay. See you later. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Nikos Show. I trust you enjoyed its content, and we are transported on an adventure. If you are a world-class expert in your field or you know one, please get in touch. I'm also looking for long-term partners to sponsor the show. Please share with your friends if you like this episode and please leave a rating and leave a review if you haven't done already. See you again soon. Nikos out. Bye-bye.